Are evolutionists proposing two Big Bang events? Welcome to Answers News for Monday, December 11th, 2023. In today's top story, evolutionists learn that one Big Bang just isn't enough to uphold their worldview. <laughs> Hello, I'm Dr. Tim Chafee, and I'm joined today by Avery Foley, or you might know her as Avery Sue, uh, if you watch Sue's Off on Answers TV, and also Roger Patterson, you might recognize him as Mr. P if you watch uh, Answers TV. Which you should. Which you should. So, <laughs> all right. Um, so we got a, an audience here today, live audience, so go ahead and make yourself known because we got people watching from around the world. So it's great to have you guys here. All right. So let's get into this then. The new paper argues that the universe began with two Big Bangs. So you can chalk this up into one of the, the weekly category of everything we thought we knew, we, we got to change it. So we talk about how the whole evolutionary story, the idea of Big Bang, all of that, this, they repeatedly are refining or changing or tweaking. And yet you have a lot of Christians who say, no, we, we can trust the scientists and we can, we can try to reinterpret the Bible to say what these guys are saying. And yet their story changes all the time. So uh, Roger, you want to tell us what this is all about? Well, if we think about that secular story of how the universe began, we have the Big Bang idea, so we've got the singularity. It starts to expand and forms the universe as we know it. We can think of the idea of cosmological evolution or cosmogenesis, this origin of the universe coming from this point. And there's some secular miracle stuff going on here, if we want to be Just honest. A bit. Okay, so as like inflation. This, yeah, as, as this began to happen, uh, the singularity begins to expand. We have to kind of defy the known laws of physics because the things that are happening here, we've got to have this expansion happening uh, faster than the speed of light. Uh, it has to start to slow down for a very specific amount of time. And all these things that are happening here are to accommodate things that they can't quite explain Did inside they, of all their models. So what he's talking about inflation in the first nanosecond or microsecond <laughs> yeah. of the you know, of, of the first spark, after, after, the after laws of physics don't apply. Expand, Did, yeah. Did they observe that, Roger? No one has observed okay. this. This is all theoretical, of mm -hmm. course. This is happening. And the time period has changed. It used to be 13.8, 14.5. They've, they've adjusted these time frames uh, over the decades as they've worked through this model. So these are theoretical ideas about how the universe began. Now, this is where we start to talk about the difference between observational science and historical science. So they're looking at things in the present mm -hmm. and trying to figure out what happened in the past. So that's historical science. So no, this isn't things that they're observing. They're inferring these things about the past. Uh, so lots of um, things that they're trying to use. Uh, this is where we think about the idea that things are happening today at the same rate as they did in the past. So they're using that idea. Uniformitarianism. Yeah, uniformitarianism, something that we wouldn't agree with. We think God has done things at radically different rates in the past mm -hmm. than are happening today. Uh, catastrophism is that contrasting idea. So we've got a very different worldview at play here uh, than we would think of from a biblical perspective. Mm -hmm. okay. And so first you have, obviously, Roger was describing the Big Bang, but now they're like, well, maybe that's not enough <laughs> because they, they talk at the beginning of the article about how there's two cosmological mysteries that have fascinated scientists. The first is understanding in detail how the universe came into existence. And then the second is the nature of dark matter. Dark matter is a substance that's thought to be really prevalent, more prevalent than regular matter throughout the universe. It's never been observed, but they think it probably exists throughout the universe. But how do you get the Big Bang creating both matter and dark matter? Well, maybe there was a second Big Bang 
that produced dark energy that produced the dark matter that we haven't observed but might exist. Right. So. So, so, <laughs> and it's more rescuing devices, more rescuing devices. And, <laughs> and more miracles that they've got to explain. No one knows how these things came into existence, but they must be there because we've got to have them to make our models work. Yeah. And it's just a bunch of un unobserved explanations for this model that must have happened because God couldn't have just created all this stuff. We've got to reject right. those yep. things out yeah. of hand. Yeah, you would think with Occam's razor, they would just, oh, you know what? Maybe those creationists right after <laughs> God made it rather than coming up with all these things. There's nothing wrong with people investigating you know, the, the, the universe and trying to figure out certain things and how things work. That, that's fantastic that people do that. But then when they're attaching this story mm -hmm. of things that they, they weren't there, they didn't see Starting it. Starting with the wrong foundation. Right. Yeah. And so they say, can this new idea be tested? Well, let me ask you a question. Can the old idea be tested? Nobody observed any of those things. And yet they've been teaching it as fact for decades and uh, with disastrous consequences when it leads people away from the truth of God's word. Um, I like how they say, thus, if the new theory is right, that would be disappointing because it goes on and talks about how that would mean they'd have to change so many things that they've talked about and what they've <laughs> taught as true for so long. It's not, and they'd have to go back to the drawing board, basically. Now, this is still just a, it's a paper. It's yeah. not like this has become accepted right, among, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, among the cosmologists or anything. But think about what it would be if... Um, if if suddenly this is the new idea and you've got you know christian leaders out there people men like william lane craig and some others uh, hugh ross who will say things that that they've attached their whole ministry and their work to this idea of the big bang and they're basically saying the big bang's been proven it's perfectly consistent with the bible what now do they have to say there's two of them yep. if that... now there's there's this big bang that happened first and then a month later there's the second big bang how are we going to fit that into the bible right you got to change the bible again <laughs> right it's better to just stand with the word of god the word of the one who mm -hmm. has always been who knows what he did who told us what he did who cannot lie and was there so yeah. let's just go with what yeah. he said unlike the ever-changing ideas of mankind god's word is eternal it's never going to change we don't have to worry that something's going to overturn god's word tomorrow like we have to with evolutionary ideas all the time yep all right and well if you want to learn more about those ideas mm. uh, we've got some great resources uh, one of those would be uh, professor uh, Faulkner on our ministry staff here has this book, The Creator Cosmos, and its companion, The uh, Expanse of Heavens. This book would help you understand those ideas a lot more in depth than what we've just briefly given you here. Uh, great resource for you to pick up to uh, study those things a bit more. Yeah, and it's fantastic in that even people like me can understand it. And <laughs> astronomy is way over my head, and that's not even meant to be a pun. That it's, just, was a great <laughs> it's not meant to be one. It's just it truly is over my head. All right, well, I know you guys have always been wondering this, but now we might have the answer. Dinosaurs might be the reason why we're not living to 200 years old. Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. <laughs> it's their All fault. Right. So this is... Uh, Those dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, this was um, from Science Alert. This is uh, a rather strange article in that there is virtually no observation of anything. It's just this story that somebody put together and put, put it out there that maybe mammals don't live as long because of dinosaurs. And the idea was that Back in millions of years ago, dinosaurs ate so much, so these, these mammals, the little mammals that were alive at the time, would have to reproduce really quickly to keep their population up. And so the ones who reproduce quickly have shorter lifespans, and therefore those are the ones that survive, the ones that took a long time to reproduce, and they, they would be killed off. So that's why we don't live so long, because we descended from those ones. Is that about it, Avery? Yep. That's about it. So yeah, you can thank the dinosaurs for our lifespans, according to this article. Just 
really an odd idea, and it's just kind of a funny one, just the whole idea of, of dinosaurs impacting human lifespans. Um, but again, well, you mean, see if, the if, evolutionary if, worldview has to explain everything, um, because that's what, what the model claims to do. It claims to be able to explain everything in life in the universe. Um, and again, Christians who try to mix the two together, well, now you've got to take ideas like this and try and fit them into the Bible somehow too, because uh, if you're not going to start with the word of God, what you're stuck with are these evolutionary ideas that are constantly changing, constantly adapting, and trying to explain absolutely everything, including human lifespans. <laughs> yeah. Pull up that second slide there. Uh, yeah. Here we go. Okay, so we've got this, this idea that if you are a dinosaur and you're this dominant creature during the age of dinosaurs, as it's known during the evolutionary period, then you're eating everything else and you're the one who's keeping mammals small and they can't thrive on Earth because uh, the dinosaurs are eating everything else. But that's not what we find. We find other dinosaurs in the stomachs of the dinosaurs, not just mammals and other things. Mm -hmm. So it just doesn't make sense. Uh, there, there's so much contradictory information that we're finding in the record today. We've just got a recent T-Rex find of other dinosaurs. So it's, it's just this imaginary story that they're trying to concoct to try and fit all these pieces together. Um, it's almost like this guy needs attention to get his papers written. Like, what can I come up with today to make somebody read my papers? Um, I'm not accusing him of, of sensationalizing things, but it's just these wild ideas that they're trying to connect all these dots. Rather, let's go to God's word to try and understand these things. Mm -hmm. And I think God's word has an answer for those things. He gives us a very clear example of what happened in actual history that's recorded for us, and that's the flood. It's the flood mm -hmm. of Noah's day that limited those populations, gave us those bottlenecks, and that's what describes for us how we have an actual limit on our, um, on our longevity. And we see those population numbers come down. We can read those things right in the text of Scripture and watch the actual ages that are recorded mm -hmm. for us of humans go down, and presumably, animals could have been along those same lines as well. Yeah, so originally, Adam and Eve are created not to die. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then they're booted from the garden because of their rebellion. And they're not allowed to eat from the tree of life. And so they're not going to live forever. And we see those first several generations before the flood living into the 900s. And then the flood happens, and suddenly it's down to the to 600, then the 400s, then the 200s down yeah. to Moses about 120, and that seems to be about where mm -hmm. we're at today for a yeah. limit. We have that genetic load. We yeah. get more and more yeah. mutations, that bottleneck event, all those things accumulating, and here it's we consequence are. Consequence of living in a fallen world. Yeah. It has nothing to do with dinosaurs, as cool yeah, as dinosaurs to, are. <laughs> right, and, and just to give you an idea of the storytelling, one possibility is that the loss was down to mammals becoming more nocturnal to stay safer, and millions of years later, we're making up for it with sun cream. Yep, because <laughs> we lost an enzyme that, per, that would repair our DNA, and yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, just, there's a lot of storytelling. So it's a reminder when you read these articles, look for what did they observe, what is mm -hmm. this, the real science, your observational science, and what is the story? What are, what are they, where's the worldview coming into play? Yeah. And be able to discern between the two. All right. Speaking well, of worldview. Yes, <laughs> speaking of worldview. <laughs> so if I were to ask you if we saw uh, what looked like fossil footprints of bird footprints, what would you think made those footprints? You would say birds, right? Well, millions of years before the earliest birds appeared, mystery Mysterious. animals walked around on bird-like feet, study finds. 
And so bird-like feet belong to a mystery animal. Obviously not birds. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> couldn't have been birds because they're like 60 million years too early from the earliest bird fossils that they find according to the conventional dating. Yeah. And so therefore it can't be birds that made these tracks. It must have been some sort of dinosaur, even yep. though mm -hmm. they look just like birds. Well, if these <laughs> fossils are found in rock layers that clearly date to 210 million years down here, and birds don't show up until 150 million years ago, then we've got a 60 million year old gap. So it must have been some type of convergent evolution. Okay, so characteristics that show up in two different groups that just happen to look similar. So they evolve the same traits, but they're not really the same creature. And that explains how this group, uh, which is in the broad category called Archosauria, all the different types of creatures, that would have been alive at this time. So it couldn't possibly be a bird because we know there were no birds alive at this time because even though there are bird footprints there, there weren't birds alive at this time. It's the worldview coming into play. Because like, our worldview yep. demands there can't be birds. Absolutely. And that's the evolutionary that's conundrum yeah. that they're stuck with because we're not biased scientists as evolutionists. Is what we <laughs> and that was when I, I was trained as an evolutionist. I thought that way. I taught that way. I thought I was the unbiased guy who could use science to determine truth. But that's not reality. Everybody has a bias. The question is, which bias is the best bias to be biased by, as our friend Bill Jack likes to say. <laughs> and this just shows how much that bias comes through. Mm -hmm. You can find a bird footprint clear as day, but it can't be a bird because we're not biased. Right. <laughs> right. Clearly. Comes down to your worldview and interpretation. So yeah, if it walks so like a duck... It's a dinosaur. <laughs> or, or an archaeosaur or something. Yeah. yeah and of a course, mystery animal. Of course, for us, this is no problem at all. This, these layers were laid down mm -hmm. during the flood. There were birds around before the flood and also during the flood and, and after, after the flood. flood. And so these footprints were made before the layers that are containing the dinosaur bones. That if, if they're bird footprints, which is what they clearly look like, then yeah, that's not a problem for our worldview at all. But it is a big problem for theirs. And we find that over and over and over again to be the case. Mm -hmm. uh, resource again uh, connected to these ideas of trying to understand evolutionary views and how they have skewed the thinking of so many. Uh, we've got this book, Glass House, that deals with those things because, like the name implies, it's a glass house. When we start to throw some stones there, those walls start to shatter and break down. Uh, have you guys got chapters in? I think. I know I, I do. Know. Oh, you didn't? Okay. No. We've got uh, various authors in here that mm -hmm. have written. Uh, great chapters to help understand those issues. Uh, so if you've got questions related to that, students, friends, colleagues, anybody, uh, this is a great resource to help um, answer those things, help to expose those flaws and those cracks in what everybody thinks is this strong uh, house. It's really a glass house and we can break those things down with this great resource. All right, so going on to something that's more of a social issue and we're seeing this being pushed quite a bit in our culture today, but you, the study falsely claims homosexual surrogacy not harmful to children. And so this was a, a study that was done with fewer than 50 
people or, or couples. About 50 couples, and, yeah. And um, all of the children involved were under 10 years old. Um, so not dealing with students who, um, once they become teenagers, not to speak against any of the teenagers in this audience, but you might know sometimes teenagers start to push back against their parents a little bit, and it creates... <laughs> You know, sometimes they're not quite as easy to raise as the ones who are 10 and under. So I uh, wonder if the results would still be the same. But there are, Avery, are there flaws with this study? It's a very, first of all, you pointed out some of the problems. Small sample size, that's always a problem in studies, especially these like social science studies. The smaller your sample, the, the less robust your results, basically. And then again, they only included young children. Um, they are not including the, the actual outcomes of those children as they grow up, as they go through the teenage years and then into the young adult years, looking back on their childhood. So those are two big problems. But another problem is the study was just really biased. The, the researchers say that their goal was they hope to produce evidence that might dispel prejudice and discrimination against gay fathers via surrogacy among social policymakers, as well as to provide useful and empirically based insights for clinicians interacting with gay father families. So they went into this with a very significant bias of, we are hoping to find uh, evidence in this direction. Wait, you mean if you go into a study <laughs> trying to steer it in a certain direction, you're probably gonna come up with some, some probably results? Probably gonna, gonna come up with yeah. some results in that direction. That's usually what happens, especially if you have a small sample size. And the other thing they did was, when they created their sample size, was they eliminated certain couples. So they only allowed the gay couples where both of the men decided to be fathers like together and stayed together the whole time that their child was there. So they're not looking at couples where their partners have changed or anything like that. It's so a it's, stable which couple. Is, right, exactly, which is not having a unstable couple is very common in that community based on other studies that have been done. So they're eliminating a lot of people Maybe that's in order why they to do could this only study. Find 50. So <laughs> that could be. <laughs> so there's a lot of problems even going into the study, which again, those problems are very common in the social sciences when it comes to these different studies, um, especially that whole bias part. If your results don't go a certain way with the cultural narrative, guess how likely you are to get a research grant for your next study? Yeah. It's not gonna happen, you right? So <laughs> you yeah, you need your results to go a certain direction or else the culture's gonna hate you and your university's never gonna give you another grant ever again. <laughs> so there's a lot that goes into understanding that. Um, so you might see headlines that say like, Oh, because like some headlines have even claimed that homosexual parents are better for children than a mother and a father. But again, when you dig into the study, you find a lot of the exact same problems with those studies. And the other issue that this totally leaves out is the issue of biblical morality. Yes. There's no foundation for that within the study because mm -hmm. our culture doesn't care about those types of things. And they're not going to focus on the issues of what does a biblical family look like. They're going to structure a family however they want to. They're going to leave out the important roles that both a mother and a father play in mm -hmm. what God has intended for a family. Now, of course, we understand this world is not perfect and that can't always be the situation, but that is the, the ideal that God has given us. Uh, a family should be a mother and a father and that's the condition that God created from the beginning. There are gonna be conditions where that can't be met, but that's the goal. So here in this surrogacy issue, uh, we get another condition because here we have to bring a woman into the picture mm -hmm. with these two men who yeah. want to usually have a child. Usually two women because you have the egg donor yeah. and the surrogate. We've got so all of those two. things. Yeah. So we've got 
complicating issues there. We've got to mm -hmm. deal with all of the extra embryos that are created through that fertility process. We've got just a, a multitude of things. And we've talked about mm -hmm. all the issues involved in the in vitro fertilization process and dealing with the embryos. And there's just a, a piling on of all mm -hmm. of the morality issues that are gonna go mm -hmm. hand in hand with all of this. So they of course ignore all of that because yeah. they don't think that's relevant to the discussion, but we as Christians have to bring all of those things mm -hmm. to bear as we start to talk about and, this. And, oh, sorry, Tim. I was gonna say the other thing we have to do as Christians is make sure as, as fathers and as mothers that we're training our children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, that we're not exasperating our children, that we're raising godly homes who, uh, children who will love one another, love their parents, love their enemy, do what we're commanded yeah. to do. And uh, because, you know, we're not perfect either. The study goes on and it, it, or shows a different study and talks about how there have been uh, research that shows that uh, children in uh, with with gay parents are 12 times more likely to have been abused in some way, and then three to four times more likely to be uh, very severely abused than when, when you have parent, uh, mother and father. But there are still times where it's mother and father where that happens. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it's a call to all of us that we, we can mm -hmm. and must do better. I think one thing we have to keep in mind as Christians as we read through articles like this is this whole idea operates on the foundation that mothers and fathers are replaceable. That as long as a child has a loving family, it doesn't really matter whether it's two men or two women or a mom and a dad. All that matters is that they have a loving family. But men and women are not the same. Two fathers is not the same as having a mother and a father. Even if those fathers love their child very much and are excellent parents, it, it doesn't replace the fact that a, that a man is not a woman. They just, and they're just not going to parent the same way. They're not going to give their child what only a mother can give a child. And same on the other side. Two mothers cannot give a child what a father can give them because God designed men and women to be different. I mean, my husband and I parent our kids very differently. Like, I'm not going to stand there and chuck my child into the air. <laughs> you know, hope I catch them. Like, but Trevor does that all the time with our kids and they love it and it helps them learn things and that mommy isn't going to teach Protective them. Protective <laughs> services are just called on. He does it in a very safe way. Just saying. But you know what I mean? Like fathers play with their children differently. They wrestle with them. They do all these things differently. Mothers don't do that. Mothers parent in a very different way. And that's God's design because kids need both. And so this whole idea that, that a mom is replaceable or a dad is replaceable, it's just simply not true. And it, it really buys into the whole transgender agenda of what is a woman, what is a man. It doesn't really matter. Everything's replaceable. No, no, it's, it's simply not God's design. We see God's design right in Genesis um, of a mother and a father, a husband and a wife raising their children. That is God's design. Obviously, we live in a broken world, but that is God's very good design. All right. Well, Avery was just stalling because she doesn't want to say this next word in the next headline, but she's our Canadian. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, I get to do the French. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, Avery, go ahead and give me the first two words here. I'm going to apologize to all of the people who actually can speak French out there because I am Canadian, but I do not speak French. Blanc right. Quebecois. All right. So, <laughs> my the, the, this political party uh, tables a bill preventing religion as a defense for hate speech. I was very confused when I first read this article because in the United States, when we say a bill is tabled, it means that it's been postponed, aside, or they're, yeah. just, they're just putting it aside. We might look at it at some point, we might not. That's not what it means in parliamentary <laughs> systems. What it means there is they're going to begin to consider it. It's the exact opposite. And so the whole article is talking about how they're <laughs> getting into this. I'm like, why are they getting into it? They've already put it to the side. And, um, so but anyways, switch. Your American brain's got to think Canadian for a second, okay? <laughs> oh, so tables means they're looking at the bill. <laughs> I'm supposed to avoid sin, so no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so anyways, uh, the... 
the whole idea that this has been proposed by, by this uh, group is that there has been a, a lot of, especially since October 7th, a, a lot of anti-Semitism. And so they're saying there's certain mm -hmm. groups that are hiding behind religion to be able to do these things. So we need to remove that um, protection of this religious exemption clause so that, so that we can go after these people who are being anti-Semitic or as mm -hmm. the, the article goes on, uh, one of the, uh, the prime minister brings in Islamophobia. And, um, and so there, there may be good motives behind what they're attempting to do. Like, look, we need to reduce anti-Semitism. Well, Amen to that, because we, I think we can all acknowledge that there's been a, an overabundance of that uh, yeah. throughout our culture, and sadly, even within the church, and that's something that no Christian really should ever be. If you think about, let's see, Jesus was Jewish, the disciples were Jewish, the writers of the Bible were Jewish, uh, the first 5,000 members of the church were Jewish. Yeah, Christians really should not be anti-Semitic. But beyond that, um, are there, is it short-sighted maybe to say, let's remove that religious exemption? Yeah, because that can lead to some other very serious consequences. Mm -hmm. uh, we've seen the erosion of those religious liberties, especially around the COVID lockdowns over the last few years and churches being shut down and, and ministers of the gospel being jailed and other things uh, there in Canada, very serious consequences yeah. as a result of that. And uh, we don't want to support any type of uh, those actions being taken. Uh, but as we remove, if we think about the removal of those exemptions, the problem is there are already laws against the type of violence that would come right. in these activities in the first place. And even speech in Canada, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. we already of, have very strict hate speech laws in Canada already. So if, you, if there's already a law that's going to prevent this violence from happening and we remove this protection down here, then there's a secondary effect that can happen against some other type of religious protection that's mm -hmm. needed for the church, and then we're, we're going down a very dangerous road. So that's the fear that Christians mm -hmm. are gonna have in this type of situation. Right, mm -hmm. yeah, even in the United States, we have religious exemption for things, but that doesn't protect you from everything. So if you started your own religious group that said we wanna sacrifice our children when they be turned five, you're not allowed to do that because that's murder that's violating other laws. And so, right, um, so yeah. that doesn't get you out of everything. Mm -hmm. So you said you actually agreed with Trudeau about I, something uh, you oh. said. Yeah, I very rarely agree with <laughs> Was, Minister Trudeau. was talked about in the green room stays in the green room. I can't, I can't believe he threw under the bus like that. But he does Nobody's say... Nobody's ever going to listen to Avery again. He did say that he's like, well, our criminal code already has things in place to protect people from these sort of anti-Semitic acts and things like that. Um, so he was kind of being like, well, I mean, we'll look at it, of course, but we already have these rules in place. And as you read through the article and you listen to the, the person who's proposing this as he's talking, he's talking about how, you know, there's a cost to living in society and the cost may simply be to refrain from giving inappropriate and undue privileges to people within a society who use them to disturb the peace and harmony especially if those privileges enable people to sow hatred or wish death upon others based on a belief in some divine power. Well, what do you mean by sow hatred? Because that depends on your definition of that. Certain groups define hatred as just simply saying you disagree with someone. Right. So who gets to define what hatred is? He goes on to talk about how this is even more true in a country that claims to be secular. Well, why does the secular religion get to be the primary dominating religion in Canada instead of something else? Like, why does the, their code of ethics and their determination of what is hatred and what is violence, why does that get to reign supreme over perhaps another? It's completely arbitrary just based on 
on their opinion. Yeah. And we know from things that have happened in the past that they're going to interpret hatred toward, particularly when it comes to Christians, very narrowly <laughs> and take things that are not hatred at all, like preaching the gospel. And we, when you see this in the UK all the time, they have really strict laws too, where people are just reading the word of God publicly or whatever, and they're being harassed and they're or even praying being- silently. Uh, yeah. And, yep. And being arrested for that because they're interpreting those extremely narrowly. So the more protections they get rid of, the more likely it is that people who just base their worldview on the word of God are going to face consequences for that. Yeah, so those things may not be hate speech in Canada, but apparently Christmas is because <laughs> it's racist according to this article. Uh, according to the Canadian Human Rights Commission, the, this agency it's declared Christmas Canada is Day racist, today. <laughs> rooted in colonialism. Don't we just have to say sorry and then we're okay? <laughs> um, so is, uh, is Avery, Christmas. is Christmas in Canada racist? Is <laughs> well, Boxing Day? Uh, <laughs> Christmas in Canada is pretty much like Christmas here. It just, it's about the same. Um, but the reason they're tying it into that is they're saying, well, uh, statutory holidays in Canada, two of those statutory holidays, Christmas and Easter, are both based on Christian holidays. So people who don't celebrate Christian holidays but do celebrate other holidays, they don't get those days automatically off, but they get these days that they don't celebrate off. So that's rooted in our colonialist past and in racism, and we need to do something about that. Um, so that's where the whole racist thing comes in. It's just Canada's picked these holidays. But if you think back to the history of the nation of Canada, it was founded on the Christian worldview. The, the full name of Canada, most people don't know this, but the full name of Canada is the Dominion of Canada. Um, and the Dominion part comes from uh, the book of Psalms, from Psalm 72.8 which says he, God, shall have dominion from sea to sea. So the founders put into the very name of Canada, God has dominion over our nation from sea to sea. Um, and that's why in our national anthem, it says, it uses God. It talks about God. It appeals to God because we do have a Christian heritage, not quite as strong as the U.S., but we still do have a Christian heritage in Canada. Um, but Christmas today, even if it was Christian in the past, for the majority of people, it's a very secular holiday anyway, um, especially in, in Canada, which is even more secular than the U.S. You're not going to see like nativity scenes it's everywhere and North things Pole, like that. So it's... Uh, yeah, you'll see a lot of Santa. <laughs> Very secular. So um, it's not really in the West. It's not really so much a, even a Christian holiday. It's same with Easter. Like it's just bunnies and eggs and chocolate and money <laughs> like being spent on stuff. It's not for most people. It really has nothing to do with Jesus. Um, so even there, it's really very secular, not very Christian. So in this the way is a way to marginalize way. Christians, just like we were talking about in the previous article, why there's concerns, why this removing the religious exemption mm -hmm. thing could have people like this immediately attacking Christianity. But even just saying the tree, the family, the music, the gifts, it's systemic racism, <laughs> as the, the Human Rights Group says, the Human Rights Commission says, it's all linked back to colonialism because even those things are seen as the settler mentality and colonialistic. Mm -hmm. Just to have those benefits is privilege from the Western culture that others don't have. And so all of that is just evidence that it's systemic racism. But again, it's fighting back against what God calls good things rather than um, just seeing those things as God's good gifts. They want to fight back and push back against those things. 
Yep. All right. Well, we could belabor that one quite a bit, but we've got one final one, and this is a woman who was brought up in a creationist home is now part of the National Center for Science Education. It really uh, just means evolution education. Yeah. Yes, to they be are National very Center much opposed to what we stand for. Uh, so she is now heading that up. She's the third person to lead that organization. Eugenie Scott was the first. And so um, essentially what it is in the past, Eugenie Scott and the, what it used to be was just pretty much straight out attack creationists. They're stupid, they're ignorant, they don't know anything. Um, they've realized that's not really the case and look at what they've got. They've got the Creation Museum, Ark Encounter, other things. And so we gotta be a little more sophisticated and she's bringing that and she, she's able to talk about that. So Roger, uh, if you wanna. Yeah, so uh, this organization is really dedicated to promoting the teaching of evolution and now they've added climate change mm -hmm. into their repertoire. And this is a group that when I was, I was actually kind of one of these people when I was teaching, uh, promoting these things in the state standards and the way they go into assessments. And uh, so it's how do we get evolution ingrained into the uh, teaching standards and the, uh, the frameworks for educators? And how do you train educators to bring those things into the classroom and really disarm the students, disarm the parents, disarm the school boards, and help them understand this really isn't a conflict with their faith. And I was part of that. And God has changed my heart, obviously, and changed my mind about the way I think about those things. Uh, but that's what this lady is really promoting and having a uh, she talks about her upbringing in an evangelical home and having learned all those things and how her, uh, her honors biology teacher told her she wasn't going to teach evolution because she didn't believe it. She went to her books and thought it made sense. And so now that was how, how she came to understand evolution and now wants to help everybody understand it's true. Uh, so really, uh, this is a form of treachery in the classroom. You take your students to a public, uh, public school classroom that's what they're going to try to do to them. And we want to help people understand that that's the goal of these institutions. They're going to train them to think from this secular, um, unbiblical, anti-God framework of teaching. And that's not the kind of framework that we want to support. Um, not that we support teaching biblical creation in the classrooms or anything like that, because then <laughs> the... They're going to teach it wrong. They're going to teach, teach it wrong really. and, and in an anti um, unproductive way. Mm -hmm. um, but we want that to be a function of the parents' responsibility. And we've got lots of articles uh, in our, on our AIG website to help promote that, uh, thinking yeah. rightly about those things. Yeah, so it's a, it's a reminder to us as Christians. It's not, in, in one sense, you know, a lot of times um, our followers will talk about the, will emphasize creation. And it is so important to teach that and make sure young people understand that. But if I can say even more so than that, make sure they understand the gospel. There's a mm -hmm. commitment yeah. to Jesus Christ Absolutely. there above everything else. So we need to make sure that that's paramount. Um, this article goes on. She, she says, imagine what we could do if we had more donor support. And it's like, they already, it's already federally funded. Like <laughs> teaching of evolution is everywhere. Every, all, everywhere. Yeah. 
yeah, and, but we need more money. And they're worried about a few holdout teachers. I might like, be praying some just... imprecatory psalms against their fundraising <laughs> So, efforts, so. We, we have, we're out of time, but let me real quickly tell you about a couple things we've got coming up here. We've got the horse and his boy. This is uh, from the So Chronicle excited about this. Yeah, so there's going to be January 10th through the 20th down at the Ark Encounter at the Answer Center. There's a play that's going to be put on. Live and, production, 45 uh, actors. Yeah, oh, and they've got some pretty cool my props Nardino, already. So. They've got um, <laughs> the horses down there in the... Yeah, that looks, uh, that looks, it looks really, really cool. cool. Yeah. yeah, so make sure you find out more details. You can go to arkencounter.com slash Narnia for more details and come on back January 10th through, sometime during the 10th through the 20th and check that out. Mm-hmm. Or Avery, oot. Um, and then... <laughs> right. Pick uh, on I want to make sure she understands what I'm saying. <laughs> we also got our VBS showcase, so if you'd like to share real yeah, quickly about this that. This is a great opportunity to come for VBS leaders and volunteers to come and get equipped to know what our next VBS. This is our jungle-themed VBS. So you're going to learn about all the, the features and components and get equipped to be able mm-hmm. to do an awesome job for your VBS program coming up this summer. It's a really yeah. fun event. It yeah. is. I've, I've seen our VBS in play at a church four different years, and it's really fantastic. Kids have a great time. They learn a lot of great things, and uh, so the people putting it together really do a great job. Mm-hmm. All right, well, we are out of time. We want to thank you for tuning in today, and for those of you who are here in, the, in Legacy Hall with us, thank you for coming, and have a great week. God bless. God bless.